How's it going, guys? This podcast episode is going to look a little bit different than some of our traditional podcasts. Last week when we were at the NWTF convention, uh, Aaron and I got to do a seminar talking about hunting pressured turkeys. I saw somebody filming, and I was like, oh, man, we missed a great opportunity to record this and make a podcast out of it. But luckily, thanks to the good folks over at NWTF, they shared the footage and audio with us. So if you want to check out other videos like this, check out their channel. I'll put a link in the description of this video so you can just scroll down, click that, and there's tons of cool turkey information, turkey strategy, biology, all kinds of stuff over there on their channel as well. Also, huge thanks to them for giving us the opportunity to do that seminar. It was a lot of fun, and we really enjoyed being at the show. Thanks to everybody that came by, said hello. It was awesome to get a chance to meet you guys, and that's something that we look forward to doing again next year and as many years in the future as we can. The goal of this seminar was just to talk about different strategies, maybe a little bit off-the-wall type of tactics that we use when we're hunting turkeys that aren't just gobbling to the call the whole way into the gun barrel. So hopefully you guys can pull some information out of this and apply it to your hunts this spring. Let's get into it. Morning everybody, just to preface this, I've been drinking coffee for almost three and a half hours straight at this point, so starting to get the shakes a little bit, it'll kind of even out over the next hour, but Zinger's usually on it pretty strong too, so. Yeah, oh yeah. But feeling it oh yeah if you, guys, if you guys have questions throughout this it makes it way easier for us because we can get to rambling on one question for a while you know so if you guys have anything that you you know are curious about yeah don't hesitate to raise your hand throughout just, the whole time we'll thing, just kind of be cruising around this whole time i mean if any of you have watched our videos we just we just kind of wing it most of the time <laughs> on pretty much everything we do. I mean, we, we'll start off talking about hunting pressure turkeys, um, which is pretty much what we deal with, whether we're hunting public land or private land. And we talked about this topic to some degree last year, but the one thing that we didn't touch on as much was the turkeys that we kill without a turkey call. Um, and that actually ends up being quite a few birds. When, it, when we think about it. And we were just talking about some old hunts that we've had. Whenever we think of hunting pressured turkeys on pressured land, we're either trying to find turkeys in a corner somewhere that haven't been pressured, that act right, if you will, or we're dealing with screwball turkeys that have been messed with for a long period of time. And those are the ones that we end up killing a lot of times without a call, like that Georgia turkey. Yeah. Uh, how many days did you hunt him a few years ago? I think I was like... <laughs> probably six or seven days to ultimately shoot one by walking in, being a little too uh, aggressive and almost running the thing over. And then he heard us walking in the leaves and then pretty much just flew down and came right to us and never even called. And, you know, in hindsight, you look back on a lot of the turkeys that Warp's talking about, when you start seeing the one that's acting f funny, you know, maybe gobbling a lot not strutting or just like working away from the call it seems like you have to switch it up and just be willing to say hey this thing is going to take some different tactics and maybe it's just getting in front of where he wants to go maybe it's scratching in the leaves a little bit more or just getting a pattern on him setting up and waiting but you know a lot of times on public land that's what we're kind of going back to and there's really when you start thinking about it there's countless examples of times that we've used those types of tactics. And then along the way too, maybe you do get lucky and one's fired up that, that day and 
you know, along the way, you're, you're yeah. patterning one, and then all of a sudden one goes nuts. And these things great, don't but. fit in a box. I mean, <laughs> everything everything's a little different each time. But yeah, I mean, if you go onto a public area that's got a bunch of trucks in the parking lots every day, and it's the second week of the season, it's been open for two weeks, and there's a turkey gobbling 400 yards from the parking lot with five trucks in it. If that turkey spent any amount of time in that area gobbling every day, <laughs> he's he's a trick is what he is a lot of the time because everybody hears him they go after him they set up they start calling to him and if that worked he wouldn't be sitting there gobbling after yeah. two weeks of hunting yeah so you're the chances of you calling him in that day I mean the chance I mean it could happen but they're not very high yeah you got to think outside the box like what Zinger's talking about a lot of times too they've been shot at or bumped or whatever so then their their whole approach into a calling setup is going to change which is obviously going to make things a lot more challenging but i feel like in those situations you know are if we're dealing with a turkey that we can tell has those traits like he's moving a lot he's not necessarily i don't know uh if this makes a lot of sense, but you, you can't hear him drumming. You can tell he's not strutting. He's just constantly on the move. Gobbling maybe he gobbles and moving, here, moving and moving. Then over there, but you know, maybe you can get some sort of pattern like he's on a specific ridge every day. Or ideally, you can get where he's in, you know, an area the size of this room that you can shoot. If that's the case, you know, we'll put more, way more stress on like cover for example, like when we set up, when you set up to a turkey goblin and you can predict right where he's coming from, you know, you can pretty much set up on a tree that's this big and you got enough cover because you can constantly stay, you know, at the right angle. But if all of a sudden this thing's coming in and he's goblin, scratching a little bit and then standing there and looking, which we've all experienced that turkey that's just doing a lot of looking. Well, then he's going to bust you from a good ways out if you're not really, really covered. So if we've got a pattern on something like that, I'd say that's something that I it's take a lot more seriously. Just spending time out there and like noticing those little things that they're doing mm -hmm. and looking for turkey sign, scratching, fresh scratching in the leaves is awesome. But also, it's calling from an, a position where he hasn't heard a hunter call from is important. Mm -hmm. Yep. So if that parking lot's there and the bird's 500 yards out, everybody's coming from that parking lot and calling to him from the access. He's not going that direction or he'd be dead. So We're all a lot more predictable than the turkey is. Yeah, <laughs> way more predictable. So if you loop around him and you call from a more remote location away from the pressure, it ideally in some fresh turkey sign, and you change up your calling tactics from what you're hearing everybody else doing, that's when we start to see success mm -hmm. happen. Or just scratching, yeah. just setting up in turkey sign close to that bird and just sticking to scratching almost exclusively. I mean, we might do some very light calling, but there's times when we might sit there and that scratching and for two hours and not make a sound. We're just listening to the turkey. We're letting the hunters push him in our direction and letting him kind of go about his day until we find our opportunity to either knife in there and get real close to him, do some soft calling and kill him, or we just wait him out and eventually kill him in that spot. There's this example that, as soon as we started talking about this, that popped into my mind. My friend Ben and I were hunting in 
Kentucky a few years ago and there was this turkey that was gobbling at nothing. Like crows would fly over and he wouldn't gobble. But it was like he was gobbling on his own time. And right away that was kind of interesting. Like that's weird. We gotta treat this a little bit differently. So we kind of snuck in close to him and he was out on the ridge maybe 250, 300 yards out and just gobbling at a pretty consistent pace but at nothing, which again is, is a little odd. If you ever notice that, take note of how that turkey reacts to a call because I feel that it's pretty consistent that they they're a are trick. A little odd. <laughs> they're a trick. <laughs> He's doing his own thing, which is, is weird. So on that one, we called one time and I remember him gobbling delayed, like not right right back to us, which is what you're always hoping but there was maybe two minutes, maybe longer, I can't remember for sure, but there was a delay, and I remember that specifically. And he gobbled, and then we just sat there and scratched for the longest time. And he would keep gobbling, but eventually he started creeping his way in, and he'd get, he got into the saddle, and we were up on a high knob. And he would just stand there and look. And I mean, I have a video clip of him just standing, and I sped it up, and it's, you know, the whole time he's just kind of like, kind of half strut half strut. It's like, that turkey, if you don't have cover, you're busted. And also, if you keep calling to him, I mean, why, what's the point of him coming across this open ridge when, you know, you can see right up where we're coming from. So, like, at that point, we just did nothing. He eventually came in, snuck in right behind us, and we got him. But the whole, the whole uh, idea of I guess backing off the calling, focusing on the scratching, and make him curious really seemed to work on that one where on a different turkey, if he was snapping a gobble right back to that first call, I'd probably just keep hammering it to him, you know? But they don't all act like that, and I feel like that's probably in the last handful of years what we've kind of realized is not all of them are gonna be pretty straightforward like that, and if that's the case, you gotta just mix it up. Yeah, I mean, they got a, they got a brain the size of a peanut. <laughs> you got to remember, they're not doing a lot of thinking out there. This is just instincts. But there's a lot of science that basically proves when turkeys get hunting pressure, they're going to alter their behavior. They're either going to change their behavior or they're going to leave. <laughs> or they're going to move to a spot where they're not encountering hunting pressure. One of those two things. And what we're talking about are turkeys that are changing their behavior. They're staying there. They're still living there. They're brave souls on some of these spots. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of guns in the woods. But they're still living there, and they're still gobbling, but they're changing their behavior. They're not acting like they were two or three days before the season. Mm -hmm. That's why they're not dead, you know, and in somebody's freezer yet. So you have to, you have to alter what you're doing. And... I guess where I'm going with that is they have a small brain. If you do, if you do something that they have not encountered that, set, that still is realistic, like a real hen in that area, it will work. Yeah. I mean, don't just, I mean, people use the term call shy all the time. And I don't, I don't know that I'm necessarily a fan of that. I don't think that's true. I think they might be call shy to what they typically hear, mm -hmm. but if you get in a spot and you do some light scratching and, and very realistic clucking and purring in a spot where they're not used to seeing hunters or encountering people, that's different from what they've become accustomed to over the last two weeks of hunting pressure. 
Yeah, I think that um, call shy too can be chalked up to like back to what Aaron was saying about people doing the same thing. Like I always think of the easy example of like uh, in a timber setting, you're walking down a path like a logging road or something. And like you're going up and down this logging road and you're seeing a bunch of boot tracks here on the ridge top. It's like, you're probably not the first person, if not even, you might be like the 10th person to come down that ridge in the last week doing the same thing. And especially if you're blasting calls when the turkeys are already feeling that pressure. I mean, one thing that seems consistent as well is if the turkeys are getting pressured, the hens also stop talking as much. Where like before season, you know, and turkeys are more grouped up, everybody's talking out there. You go out on a really good morning, you're hearing hens, you're hearing a bunch of gobblers, you're hearing jakes yelping. But then as the season progresses and turkeys start to split up, you're not hearing that as often. So if you're going down a ridge and blasting calls off every, you know, 100 yards or whatever, especially on a place where other people have done it, it seems like that in these situations where we're talking about isn't necessarily the best thing because they kind of are like, eh, that's, I've they heard that They might answer before. you, but they ain't coming up Right, there. right. Yep. Not, not after they've been pestered. Maybe on opening day they'll do that. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing too. It's like <laughs> one thing that does also seem consistent is like your first two days of season, it's like that's when you put the pedal to the metal and you hunt aggressive. Past that, maybe think More a little calculated, bit outside the box. Creative. Yeah. This is not just for public land either. Mm -hmm. Turkeys don't know what, how to read a public land sign or a no trespassing sign on private land. They don't care about that. They just know there's humans here. That's bad. That's <laughs> dangerous. Stay the heck away. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can be hunting private land or a hunting club or something with other people. And if you've got turkeys on it that are acting screwball towards the end of the season, don't do what everybody else is doing. There's, I, I always like to think about numbers and examples. You know, if you've got a property, public or private, and there's eight long beards gobbling on it before the season, first two days of season, two of those dumb ones are toast. <laughs> They're dead. Maybe through the next week they pick off another one. But then through the rest of the season, there's four or five gobblers still in that area and everybody throws up their hands by the end of the second week. Oh, these turkeys are call shy, there's none left, they're not gobbling, da da da. They're still there. They're still there. They're just, they're using the area totally differently than they were the two weeks before. I mean, I walked into a public area last year that got just smoked the first two weeks with people. and. I ran into a couple guys coming out of the parking lot the first time I got there, and they're like, "There ain't no birds left back here, man. Ain't no ain't no reason to fool with them." I'm like, "Well, I'm gonna try anyway because I'm here." I went in there and I heard eight or nine gobblers the next morning. Not a one of them was on the public property. They were all in a rim right around the boundary of it. I found one little corner in the back, about 40 yards from the fence, where there was a bunch of fresh scratching, that, and they were coming through there in the middle of the day mm -hmm. with hens just floating through there. Now, it was the one little spot that hadn't gotten touched, but the birds are still there. They're still mm -hmm. using the area. They're just using it differently. Yeah, that was another thing I was gonna say, time of the day, too, like, yep. you know, if you have the ability to or the flexibility to middle of the day or evening or you know some states obviously you can't hunt past a certain time but if you have the ability to 
again, do something different. I feel like that's, you know, so I grew up in Ohio, and when I was a kid, you could only hunt till noon the whole season. And I got used to that. Like, you hunt turkeys in the morning, you know? And then as we were able to hunt into the evening, and then I moved away and did more and more of it, it was like, oh, this really has a lot of value to spending time out here. It may not be as quick of action as what you're gonna get at first light, right off the roost. I mean, obviously, that turkeys have a tendency to gobble more at that time, but if that's you find one at one o'clock that's gobbling. Nobody in the woods? <laughs> yeah. I mean, very Nobody out people. there pestering them. All of a sudden, they've had four or five hours where they can kind of relax and then get back in their mode a little bit, and then boom, you're dealing with a different animal mm -hmm. than you were at 7 a.m. when there was 10 trucks yep. along the road working him. Mike, and, I don't know if Mike's doing a seminar or not, uh, Chamberlain, but anyway, Mike Chamberlain and Patrick Whiteman, they've done a bunch of research lately about gobbler mortality, where they're trapping in birds and they're putting them on the landscape and they're seeing how many of them are getting killed by hunters and other things, predators and whatever else. And the interesting thing that I heard Mike talking about lately was they trapped a bunch of birds that were on public, they also trapped a bunch of birds that were on private, and they're putting GPS tags on all of them. So it's a known fate analysis. They know when these birds die, what they die from. And the public land percentage of harvest was the same as the private land. Hmm. So like you look, at the, you look at the public land that gets just smoked with people. You know, both areas may have the same number of turkeys in it. Public land's getting smoked with people. You would think, oh, they're wiping those, those birds off the face of the earth. According to their research, they killed the same percentage. On public as they did on the private that just shows you that they react to they're reacting to the hunting pressure and we as hunters are not changing what we're doing We're across the board they, you, you kill them the first couple of days. It's like the two out of eight analysis there that I used a minute ago I mean, that's I don't remember what the exact percentages were, but that was really eye-opening to me It's like okay There's 20 guys hunting these four turkeys and there's two guys hunting these four turkeys But they're killing each group is killing two birds mm -hmm. Out of there and then they're they're just the turkeys are switching it up And we're not switching it up with them. And that's how they're surviving out there one thing that's very interesting about hunting, it doesn't matter what you're hunting, we're talking about turkeys now, but it could be deer, elk, antelope. Hunters have, no matter where you go, they have like a tendency of, of a tactic. And most people are doing that. If you can pick that out, you're in pretty good shape. Because then you can start to think about, what can I do differently? Like, I use that example of walking down a logging road up on a ridge top, and that's a very easy one. I'm also somebody that does that all the time. But as soon as I start to notice that, you know, everybody else in the area is doing that as well, then I'm gonna start thinking about, okay, what can I do differently? Where can I put myself to call in a place that maybe that turkey hasn't heard you know somebody call from unless it's a real uh, you know another real hen it's really interesting like there, there's just so many consistencies in hunters were so predictable it's like you can go to an area and it's just like everybody's doing the exact same thing and it's crazy and you start looking I mean there's other tons of other examples of studies done of public land hunters and like they're they're uh, 
the moves off of the road or the parking lots are very predictable. You know, it's like oh yeah, they put GPS trackers in their in their vest pocket, mm -hmm. and they watch what everybody does. <laughs> and they're like, well, that's the easiest, you know, that's the easiest thing to research and predict out there. Mm -hmm. It's like everybody's going to park at this gate, and they're going to walk down this road. They're going to go in about half to three quarters of a mile, hit a call, maybe go a hundred yards off the road, set up, and then they're going to walk out and they're going to leave. And we do that too. Yep. Don't don't get us wrong. Like not every single day or every single hour, we're like doing something completely different than everybody else. But when you start to struggle, that's when you really got to start thinking, you know, about something a little bit differently. I think. Yep. Anybody got any questions so far? We decoy did it. shy? Yeah. Uh, not specifically, but that goes hand in hand with what we're with what we're talking about. If you're hunting field turkeys that are getting pressured and they're seeing decoys, remember that in Minnesota a few years ago, like those open tops mm -hmm. we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. It's like there's this awesome habitat in these big open fields. These turkeys are pitching in the woods and they're coming out in these fields. You put a decoy out in one of those fields the third week of season. As soon as they see it. <laughs> They're gone. I mean, like the head turns red and they run out of the field. That's because two or three of their buddies or their brothers got waxed in that field <laughs> on an opening weekend over a strutting decoy. And they, they just pick up on that. If you're, if you're hunting in an area, though, where they don't see decoys very often mm -hmm. and they're getting pressured by other means, then, de then they could work. Mm-hmm. It all depends on what they associate danger with. And they pick up on that danger really quick or they die. So, I mean, think if Warb and I are two, two turkeys come flying into a decoy and he gets blasted off of it. That's going like, to have an impression on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to be pretty freaked out next time I see that same, that same turkey over yeah, there. Yeah, after you flop my flopping <laughs> body, or you flog my flopping body on the ground, you're going to run off and then realize, like, that's probably not a good idea. Oh, wait. Something <laughs> went wrong there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you have one? What about the South Florida? Land South Florida? Oh, he fought with them for a week, a couple years ago. Yeah, I feel like it was the same thing. Find a consistent pattern of what hunters are doing, see where people are going, where they're not going. And ultimately, like how we ended up getting one was just chipping away at it for sure, because it ended up being like. It was, I would say it, it was like eight or nine days before we ended up shooting a turkey, but we found a spot where people weren't going in that direction. Nobody had been parked there and we were kind of keeping tabs on it as we were driving through there every day and eventually just found a spot where they were still kind of doing their thing. It was a little bit tough to hear them in that spot and, you know, kind of just same, same process, I suppose, just in that situation, it was, uh, there's, I guess there's a series of events. We saw some turkeys, like just caught a glimpse of them running through the tall grass, knew they were there, kept tabs on it by going past there every day. And then, uh, actually, I'm pretty sure the night before we ended up getting the turkey, I hunted in there alone and didn't even hear anything fly up or gobble, but just felt confident that they were in that area and that nobody else was hunting in there and kind of just kept chipping away, although that was challenging, I feel like, in a situation like like that, which, 
you're going to deal with in a lot of different places. You got a lot of room to roam, and really, what I, if I could go back and do that again, which probably will someday, I would just be more willing to just dive into places and go a long way because I feel that it's kind of intimidating. <laughs> I mean, walking through water this deep, it's a little freaky when you're going turkey hunting, but you know, having. Yeah, it just depends on what people are doing, though. Like, if everybody's on, if they find a good trail where they can get two or three miles back there and not get wet, like yeah, what he's saying, yeah. then they're going to go back there. Hmm. And 400 yards off of the blacktop road up there down the street from the parking lot, maybe this little hole where they haven't been messing with. Which is That's what the that same situation thing. was. Yeah. Because because there was days we would walk way back in there too, but on a trail where we felt more confident or where somebody had taken, you know, a buggy or something back there and there was a two track that you could follow. It's a lot less intimidating than just cutting through you know the brush and everything and that's but that's ultimately what we did to get the turkey was kind of get off the beaten path that what you just said about hearing turkeys is something i always think about it's like well where's everybody hearing turkeys from this area or where are they listening it's usually at the parking lot or that main trail where this ridge goes up and it's a walking path up there tractor path or whatever but is there a way I can get around the back side of that property and I can hear it from a different place? Like he mm -hmm. said, they found a turkey that was in a spot that was gobbling where not very many people could hear it. Yeah. That's what I was, I found some really good sign like a week ago on a public spot back home. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about where these turkeys were at and I'm like, they can't, they're two and a quarter miles back here and there's no road within a mile and a half of this where people could hear them. Mm -hmm. Like in order to hear these turkeys, you have to make the mile and a half walk investment to yeah. hear them. Yeah. And I'm like, these birds aren't gonna get messed with as much. But if there are birds that you can hear from multiple directions and that other people can hear, be wary of that. Like we feel like we've gotta kill those immediately if we're gonna get on them and we're gonna have competition. Or you got to get creative and get on the back side of them or yeah, do, do some come. of these other off-the-wall tactics that we're talking about in order to kill them. It just, every scenario is a little bit different, but like we said when we started this talk, I guess, is you're either finding turkeys that people haven't messed with that will act right, or you're dealing with turkeys that their behavior is screwed up <laughs> because hunters have messed with them. And you cannot go in there and act like everybody else that's there and expect to kill them with any sort of regularity because they've altered. Yeah, something that you, you do that like I learned from doing it with you is parking, you know, just stopping on a county road, shutting your vehicle off. You might be on the blacktop road and it might be private land between you and the ridge that you're listening to, but from that spot, at last, you know, last light, the owl hood or something and you can hear the turkey where if you come in from the public where you would actually go in to hunt the area you might not be able to hear the back side of that ridge and just like thinking you know what angle you're going to be able to hear whether that's using the terrain or like a field or something where you can hear some you have some open air between you and where the turkey is just to locate turkeys is like a huge a huge step in the right direction when you're struggling <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah do you see like pressured turkeys using the terrain differently than when they're pressured like, mm -hmm. kind of like well i don't want to poke my head up over this ridge and i'm going to get 
shot at home, come to a bridge point, yeah. down at the other side. Yeah. Do you see that kind of tactic that they use? He's asking if uh, turkeys will use the terrain differently as they encounter pressure than they did beforehand. Yes, they, like we were talking about these trails, mm -hmm. a lot of times these trails are fire breaks with wheat sown in them on a WMA or something. You go in there two days before season, there's strut marks everywhere, there's gobbler tracks everywhere. They get whacked first hour of the first day <laughs> and they may still use that spot, but they'll change the time they use it. Yeah. You know, if, it, if it's a state that closes at noon or one, they may, use, they may start using it at 4 p.m. Mm -hmm. where there's nobody in there. That that doesn't happen immediately, but you'd be surprised how quickly it does. I mean, it can take less than a week, just a few days, and they'll alter their behavior. But like you're talking about ridges, um, you know, the field birds up north, they get killed over decoys first day of season. All of a sudden, there's these, these remote ridges on the backs of those fields in the third week of season. There's still turkeys gobbling around those fields. But don't set up in that field, because <laughs> uh, especially not with a decoy, because that's what's already worked. Mm -hmm. They're going to pitch down on those ridges and maybe drop to a little secluded bench right below them or right out on the point of that ridge, and that's where they're going to gobble mm -hmm. and bring up hens and strut. I can think of a good example on ridge. <clears throat> especially if it's steep and it's hard to like get up to yeah. where they're at. Like in in uh, one spot, I hunted it two different years in a row slightly different times of the season. One time was early and there's this turkey up on a, the highest point. There was a log deck up there so it was really open. There was a log trail that went right to the turkey. Well, ended up going in there and calling him right in. I was with my dad. The next or the season before that though there, were the, there was a group of turkeys and we heard them from the road like kind of up in a little cut made this move around them and all morning they stayed in this bowl tucked away to where we didn't even hear them again until we were right on top of them and then they never left that little bench right in there where on the other hand you get the turkey early in the season he just wanted to get up on top of the world and gobble and you know you could hear him from a mile away because he was putting himself up high where it seems like as they get that pressure they start tucking into those little like a finger ridge a bench down in a bowl something like that where they Shane's just Shane's really good at that mm -hmm. he's good at hunting those types of turkeys you know through the course of the season and just finding the, the chink in their armor where nobody else is is hunting them he's always thinking about that mm -hmm. any other questions too in terms of uh you know, talking about pressure and how they change their actual, like, acting, you could say. Now, this may pertain more to, to private property um, and someone's particular access to monitor a turkey over the off-season even and be able to, to basically confirm that, yes, that, that gobbler that got away from me last year is still there. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen that those gobblers, I mean, I... I always say they're frustratingly stupid because they do have a small brain, but but they outsmart you in various various different ways because they're not dumb as well because their instinct is survive. Have you seen that across a season, if you've had the opportunity to say I'm hunting that bird that got away from me last year, that they've carried that knowledge over to the next season? Mm -hmm. They'll develop behaviors like that, like he's talking about patternable behaviors to survive. 
So if it's an old long spur turkey that does nothing but walk away from turkey calls, for example, but he makes this big loop around the entire property and starts, you know, swooping through these ridges that are full of scratching and stuff, he's developed a behavior where he can still traverse the landscape looking for hens to breed without going to a turkey call or going to going to a hen even. We've noticed them where they they almost seem to know the voice of the hens in their area. Mm -hmm. So like one hen will yelp with a certain tone and when she's alone and looking for a gobbler, she may just yelp three times. She just may do these little three note yelps. And we've thrown every call in the book at that thing and he hammers every single time at us but will not come an inch our direction. As soon as that gal that he knows pipes up in that the end of that ridge where all that scratching's at, where he's used to hearing her, he answers her every time and goes straight to it. I mean, like kamikaze to it. <laughs> but that's because he knows her. That's what I think anyway. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I feel like they know the birds in their area and they know what they do a lot better than we do. I mean, it's a lot like hunting a, a big buck. Like he's gonna start to pattern the hunters and know what little seams that he can work through without people bothering him and what's the difference between you know an old buck and an old dom not really much they're they're avoiding they know what they need to do to survive they're, and they're, they're not continue they're not smart like you said in the in their ability to to do critical thinking and analyze these things or anything like that but they can alter their behaviors with their instincts to survive mm -hmm. and once they figure out a strategy that, that that keeps them alive they repeat that yeah they know what works and what doesn't yes yeah, especially they've been shot at. You mentioned earlier, uh, everybody's going down the log trail, right? That's uh -huh. the easiest place. Most of the time, people are using that log trail because you're quiet mm -hmm. getting in there, right? So do you guys have any advice? What are you doing? Are you getting there early to try to get, or always say on the back side of them where everybody's calling you on a kind That's of call a great on the back question. side? You, is that what you do? Are you getting in there early? Are you got any tips or? We walk like turkeys a lot. I mean, one of the, the main things that we do is stop and go, stop and go, constantly listening. And I mean, you'll see in videos a lot. You'll see it a lot in videos, but you'll, I mean, we can't include all of it because nobody wants to watch us walk through the woods scratching constantly. But I mean, if Warb and I are hunting together, for example, and we feel like, you know, at any point walking from here to the wall over there, you know, we might hear a turkey scratching or drumming we're constantly easing through take a couple steps and then scratching and then stopping and listening we're not just listening for goblin at that point we're listening for spitting drumming walking in the leaves scratching in the leaves hens yelping things like that that you know ultimately are going to tip us off to where they might be and to cover our own noise i feel like acting like a turkey is probably one of the best things that you can do. I mean, we also get a lot of practice on this in deer season too, because we hunt so mobily while we're deer hunting. And just trying to act like something that you're hearing in the woods seems to be really, really helpful versus like having a destination in mind where it's like, if we're gonna go set up on the wall over there and we just blast through, just like, well, we gotta get there. I mean, at we that point- We rarely do that. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna make, you're gonna make unnatural noises, but, you know, if you can sound like a turkey and kind of be calling to them at all times and be on your toes, and that's where you know the old 
the old classic tip of like always have a tree picked out. Like every time you stop, scratch, and listen, okay, we're listening, and then all of a sudden drumming over there in the corner, it's like, okay, we know we're going to this tree. Or if he drums over here, we're going to that tree. And just kind of keeping that. Yeah, like you said, like mind. you talk about often with ground hunting, it's like grab cover. Mm -hmm. Anytime you stop to listen, grab cover. That mm -hmm. wasn't that, you know, you could just be leaning against a tree. But if you just scratch and all of a sudden you hear, <laughs> then you can just melt into that tree and you're good. I mean, that's worked several times and helped us kill birds. Well, even even when we're going in it before daylight and into an area where we know that a tom is roosted. We don't know exactly where he's at, and you're just waiting for him to gobble. You're, if you can be, grab a tree, you know, four or five feet may be the difference in him spooking versus you killing him. Because if he gobbles right above you, you can melt into that tree. But if you got to go from here to that projector and it's getting daylight, you take two or three steps and he's made you, and that's it. <laughs> you're toast. But the, the logging road's a, a good point because we will we'll burn down one of those suckers to cover some ground. And you might hear turkeys gobbling off of it, but we'll go past them and then hook way in the back mm -hmm. to get on the backside of, of where most of that pressure's coming from. If we're walking down a logging trail like this and we hear a turkey gobble out here in front of us, we're not gonna bail 30 yards off of it and set up, even if he's pretty close. Yeah. We're immediately, you know, unless it's early in the season, if we know they ain't been messed with and there ain't a bunch of boot tracks in the logging yeah. trail, we might kill him right there. Yep. We did that in Mississippi a mm -hmm. few years ago, thrashing Jake. Mm -hmm. We're just yeah, on yeah. a logging road and the thing gobbles 150 yards in front of us. And now that's a mid-afternoon turkey though. So and you guys saw fresh tracks, fresh tracks, and right no boot after tracks. A rain, no boot right tracks. after a rain, yep. I mean, two there. days after a heavy <laughs> rain, and we start going down this logging trail, and all we're seeing are fresh gobbler tracks and no boot tracks. That's like perfect. Yeah. Nobody's been in here at That's least for the last couple situation. days. Right, it's very situational. Another uh, addition to that too is using terrain and, and cover. So one that comes to mind is. Uh, a turkey that Hayden and I had had a super close call with the evening before and we heard him fly up. I mean, darn near could see him in the tree, but we knew the next morning we wanted to adjust our setup a little bit. But to do that, we had to kind of walk past him and then get up above him. And in the dark, we were crawling through mountain laurel for like an hour and a half just really doing that stop-go thing where we weren't making so much noise that it sounded unnatural. Like, what's the difference between us crawling for, you know, five seconds, stopping for five seconds, and, and a deer doing the same thing? Because other animals that are in the woods making those noises too, and just trying to tune into that. I, I always like to use that, like tune into your surroundings. If you're tuned into the woods, you feel like you sound like the woods. If you're not, you sound in your own ears even that you're crashing. It's like, yep. just try to re relax, take a deep breath and say, all right, we'll get there. And whatever pace we need to, to make sure we're not making too much noise. Yeah, and well, we might burn through there for a ways, but like he's saying, between here and the back wall, that's, a, that's kind of a good arbitrary distance. Mm -hmm. When we start getting in there in the honey hole, we change our behavior a lot. <laughs> and even like putting, you know, for example, if you're moving in on a turkey and whether he's on the ground or in a tree, like if these pillars, you know, if I can take these pillars right here, I make them twice the size that they are. So doing the same thing with trees, you know, putting something between us and him, whether that be, again, terrain or trees or brush, but 
I guess with turkeys too, the thing that's unique about us and them is we both have two feet, which is different than deer. In a deer, you have to change the way that your feet hit the ground to sound like a deer walking where you walking through the woods sounds like a turkey. So sometimes you can have dumb luck happen too, like that Georgia turkey, where we're kind of just sneaking our way in. We're not going super fast, but we probably weren't cautious enough. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, he hears us, thinks that we're turkeys walking in the leaves. And oh, me and Hayden had that happen in Kentucky. We didn't kill him because he got on us so quick. We've been working this bird from multiple directions for two hours. He would answer everything, would not come in, and we just kept on him. That's a big, that's another tip too. Josh Thrash says, you know, just lay with him mm -hmm. and just keep trying. Don't yeah. spook him, because that'll ruin everything, but keep trying. Mm -hmm. So we'd set up multiple times and we were going down the back side of a ridge. He was on one side of it and we were on the other. And we were shuffling in the leaves and all of a sudden I heard drumming. I'm like, that sucker's coming to the top of this ridge. And we called him in essentially by scratching in the leaves. I mean, we did it accidentally. We weren't actually set up scratching, but we sounded like turkeys walking down that ridge to him. And that's what got him to come in. It wasn't the two hours of turkey calling before that. It was us moving positions, almost kind of hooking around him. Then he heard that us walking in the leaves and we didn't get set up in time. Like he come right over the ridge looking for us and busted us. And that will happen too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got a question over here? I know you said that, you know, once you spook a turkey, it's over. How long is it over? Would you hunt that turkey that same day? That's a good yeah. question. I mean, Sometimes, I mean, they, We've missed them and killed them an hour later. <laughs> missed them, spooked them, then killed them. It's happened. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, some of them are just, you know, fired up enough or confused enough at the situation or a combination to where we've definitely had that happen. I would say, I would say something that's pr a pretty safe bet is if we have a mistake happen, whether that's he busts us in the setup or shoot and miss, which all these things have happened. A safe bet is give it, if you got the time and you're patient enough, give it an hour maybe and just do nothing and just be patient. Maybe call a little bit or, but if you call, move. Like for example, if, if he came into your setup and goes putting away, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call from that same spot. No. I would move to a different angle and sometimes even be patient with it. And, and I mean, examples are, are fun to go back and reference, but Hayden and I were hunting together. And uh, <laughs> this turkey, we had kind of made a little pattern on him. He wasn't living that far off the road, but was just up and over to where it was hard to hear him from the road that was down at the creek bottom. We knew roughly what general vicinity that he was in that morning. He was on a different ridge than what we thought. Made a move to him, got set up, everything felt perfect. He gobbles on his own, we sit down, gobbles on his own again, call, and it's just like he's facing us now. Like there's a, you know, a really obvious change in his gobble because now he's facing us. Next thing you know, here he is, coming right down the ridge. Well, right at the last little bit, he started cutting to our hard right. I was filming on the right, Hayden was on my left, so it kind of just made that awkward angle. Next thing you know, turkey sees us, putts, and we heard him go right off the ridge and just didn't really hear anything else. Where I, I figured, I mean, we both figured that if he would have kept going, 
we would have kept hearing his feet until it kind of faded away, but it sounded like he just walked down there and stopped. So we kind of just waited a little bit, you know, threw our hat around a little bit, a little angry about that one because it was the last day that we were going to be there and we were a little frustrated. And we ended up walking down the ridge, calling from a different angle, and he didn't, got, didn't hear anything. Gave that probably an hour, 45 minutes. And what we were doing, too, at this point, is we were just separated listening, trying to see if we could hear him. Because at this point, we really didn't know if he had left for sure or not. Well, then we eventually sneaked back to where we had last heard him, almost right where we had last set up, but came at it from the exact opposite direction. Like, we had come in on our first setup this way. Now we're coming in at him this way. And I remember Hayden being up ahead of me. And he's walking up there, and I remember, like, I was watching him or filming him, I can't remember, but he, he went. I'm like, well, something's happening. And he, he comes back to me, and he's like, he's drumming right up there. I can yeah. hear him walking in the leaves and drumming right where we last heard him. Sure enough, we go over, set up, call, scratch, make all kinds of, you know, all kinds of turkey noises, and he did not gobble until right before he came back up there. So it's like, we trusted that you know, light walking in the leaves and the drumming, and he came right back in, and we had just busted him not 40 yards from that spot, and then Hayden missed him. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was putting, though, right? He and did he just, putt. He, he like, trotted off away. or ran off or whatever. Yep. He just putted and kind of that, that like, Yep. And then we heard him just... Ch -ch 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 -ch. That's what they do. They escape the danger real quick or what made them nervous, and then they calm right back down. you got to give them some time. Like an hour is a good rule mm -hmm. of thumb. But I'm thinking back to birds even at the farm that mm -hmm. we've had come in. This is on you know, our private land at the beginning of the season. They come in and they bust us and putt. I, this is just speculation on my part, but I think if that turkey comes in and he starts getting nervous and leaving and he's on the edge of your effective range, if you stand up and try to take a pot shot at that bird as he's getting out of there and he takes flight and leaves, that's pretty harmful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's but if that turkey situation. puts and eases off out of sight, even if he takes off running but he doesn't fly, he calms right back down. Not every time. They're all a little bit different from each other, but we've seen that happen a bunch. That That's one hard. Ted killed a few years ago, he missed. He, the turkey come in on us real quick, and like right when he shoots, the bird drops his head, and he shoots over top of him. And the turkey flaps his wing once and takes off running. And we, le we left the area, went and chased some other birds for three hours. And on the way back to the truck, we heard that sucker gobbling on the same ridge that he missed him on. And we made this big loop to get up there with him. And we, we eventually killed him on the backside. Like he, the same deal. Like we called him in coming this way the first time. The second time he was gobbling up there, three hours later, we come up the backside of the ridge from the opposite direction, called him in do, using the same calls as we did before. Yeah. And the second time he came in, he was gobbling and strutting more than the first time. But. The point is, is that the turkey came in so quick, he didn't see us, he heard the shot, he didn't get hit by anything, it's like, a tree fell, you know, I gotta get out of here. So he runs off 100 yards and then give him an hour or two, he calms down and he's gobbling again. It all depends on how you spook him. Like if you flush him off the roost, um, they're probably gonna go a long ways before they calm back down and go back to doing what they're doing. Sean, our, our buddy, this is several years ago now, but he, he missed one right off the roost, called the thing in, came right in, he missed it, 
it pitched and went over a fence line into a different field. We tried to make a move on it. He saw us, and I remember watching him run off the field. And then, literally like 30 minutes later, the same turkey came back in and he shot him. And we knew it was the same one because we filmed the whole thing, you know? And you could just tell in the barring in his fan, it's like, well, that's obviously the same turkey. But we missed him, spooked him, killed him. And that, you know, was kind of a funny, funny moment for us. So I think all those situations, though, like, you're all, always doing something like, a little different the yeah. second time. And I mean, also, you know, like Warb said just a second ago, if one does something real crazy and really gets out of town, I mean, that might be a little bit of a different situation, but if they're just lightly spooked, I mean, you know, and you feel like maybe he doesn't really know what's going on, keep after him. Like you said, the bird sees you, it's over with, you know, mm -hmm. but we've shot birds and just looked, sat there. Sometimes for half an hour on that on that dead bird mm -hmm. until the others fed away. Yeah, that's and we smart. We called them back to the same spot then two hours later because we didn't. Yeah. They didn't see us. Right. Now, that's the perceived danger. The shot to them didn't mean nothing. Yep. You know, and their dead friend out there didn't really mean much to them. But boy, once if you jump up and run to that bird, better find a new spot. You're managing your pressure mm -hmm. on the, that particular flock of turkeys. Yeah. I'm curious if you'd seen that or. Yep. No, oh yeah. That makes sense for sure. Definitely seen similar scenarios to that. Yeah. If you know but, you made a good shot and he dumps right over, I would say it's our preference to just like hang loose if there's multiple turkeys for sure. Because it definitely, it definitely makes a difference. I think in in the future because we've had situations where, you know, we've eventually bumped them or maybe I can think of one in particular where shot one turkey out of a pair. The other one hung around long enough that he eventually saw us. Their setup wasn't that good. And then same deal, filmed the turkey, had a broken tail fan, you know, can pretty much say that's 99% sure that's the same turkey. And from that point on, he was real weird. And it took us multiple days to eventually get him. And how we ended up getting him was he got himself in a little bowl, kept gobbling in that same spot and had to crawl up there and shoot him, which it's completely different tactic than the first day when they came. Him and his buddy came screaming in, you know. But it's like had had he not known anything happened there, then yeah. The point is he's still killable, just not the same. Just right. not the same that's, way that yeah, you. That's a good point. Brought him in. Any other questions? Here you can just use my microphone since I'm handy. Uh, is there a point in the season where you just assume that the birds are pressured, they're changing their behavior, and you're starting with plan B? Or are you starting every area like with your prototypical like approach, I guess? That's a good question. There's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of assumption, you know, like second week of season after it's been open for a week, and you got turkeys that are gobbling close to the parking lot. Yeah, you can assume they've probably been messed with. but. Looking for, looking for the people sign is where the rubber really meets the road. Like you can find some public spots a week and a half into the season that haven't been messed with. If there's not a lot of tire tracks, like if they're crusted over because it rained three days ago and nobody else has pulled in there, like Zach was talking about that Florida turkey, you know, and you're, you're driving by there and you're monitoring that one parking area that hadn't seen a vehicle in it in four or five days. If you go walking in there and you don't see boot tracks, I mean, I don't care what time of the season it yeah. is, really. It's like the turkeys that are there are not going to act like the ones down the road where there's been consistently two or three trucks parked there. That's actually, yeah, something about that, that Florida example that I 
forgot to kind of mention is because we failed for so long, <laughs> there had been this big period where people had left. That initial wave of the season, first four or five days, had come and gone. Well, then there was another four or five days. Because we did end up shooting the turkey, I think, on like day nine or 10 of being there. So we had been there for long enough that, you know, people had started to leave the area and then they kind of seemed to relax a little bit more. And I mean, like Warb said, I think the number one thing is just trying to pick out that hunter tendency first. I mean, I look back on a lot of things. That's what a lot, a lot of hunts, there's always like, one lesson that I take away from almost every single hunt, and it's that, that hunter tendency almost more than anything, because no matter where you're at, I mean, this is my belief at least, not everybody agrees with this, but a turkey is a turkey, a deer is a deer, an elk's an elk. They are affected by us, yeah. and our tendencies may change depending on where we're at or what our habitat terrain, you know, the landscape looks like, the access looks like, but picking that out is kind of our number one goal, I would say, going oh, to yeah. the area. We get that all the time, too. It's like, oh, the turkeys around here are the hardest turkeys in the world ever. It's like, yep. versus the turkeys <laughs> over here are the hardest turkeys in the world ever. We, it's They're just a hard. function of the pressure and the <laughs> habitat that they live in. And it just all depends. I mean, you could be in a great turkey state, you know, with an amazing turkey hunting property with no pressure on it and great habitat and birds everywhere. And you go down the road three miles and there's not good habitat and few turkeys and hunters all over the place. Well, those, you got two completely different scenarios and they're five minutes apart. And different experiences just depending on what spot you chose to start. You know, you might have a weekend to hunt and if you accidentally pick the place that's getting all the attention, you might have a pretty bad experience where you know maybe the next year or just down the road you have a totally different experience but yeah that, figuring that, out the hunters is the first step of that i'm also thinking about that mississippi turkey that was day eight you know oh, you, 16 yeah, the one that you killed <laughs> yep that thing gobbled three times in 12 hours <laughs> he gobbled three times on the roost in the morning and we hunted him all day the next time he gobbled was with 20 minutes of legal light left at the very end of the day to an owl hooting to an, yep and then he proceeded to gobble about 20 times and get shot in the next 10 <laughs> minutes but he didn't he gobbled three times from the start of the day to the end of the day, and that was in the middle was, of the second week was of the season. People, there, there I, was I remember, people all over that thing. I don't know if it was that day or you know a day or two before, but I remember another guy passing us when we had just heard him the first time. We're like, oh yeah, you know, we got we got one to hunt. But then somebody comes rolling down the road, and we're like, yeah, everybody he knows about it. heard that turkey, but he's but, altering his behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not. That's a that's an example on the other end of the spectrum where he's just going zoop, tight lipped. He's, well, he's doing and strutting both, and drumming around here. And, and, and uh, I wasn't loud enough to say I'm on him on like day three or something when you, you were still hunting. Yeah, but I, even that day we almost killed him by setting up around the back. Like totally. the, the hunters were going in on him and he was gobbling with some hens and moving away from the hunters. And as we could hear this happening, we looped all the way around him. And they basically pushed him towards us. Mm -hmm. And we almost killed him that day. But I didn't say, I'm on him, loud enough. And we have some sweet footage of him popping out, giving us a look, and then going right back the other way. <laughs> he died four or five days later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a strategy for late season birds where a lot of the hens are nested and uh, they gobble and they take off? 
and I mean for a mile or mm -hmm. more, and they will respond to your call, but the next time you hear them, they're a quarter of a mile farther away than they were when they gobbled at you. Well, not I wouldn't say a cut and dried strategy, but often no call. I mean, we killed that one in Iowa at the end of the season last year, and we set up on that thing four times in three hours every single time that we got close to him. I mean, we tried calling him from 200 yards. We tried calling him from 50, and he would gobble and strut, and he would not come an inch our direction. Then the last time, we tried scratching only, and he wouldn't come to that. Like, he literally, we got within 40 yards of him. I could hear him drumming. I could hear him gobbling. And we started scratching. We never touched a turkey call. And as soon as we started scratching, he clammed up and he moved two ridges over and started gobbling again where he felt safe. And the last time we went on him, I said, Nick, I ain't saying a freaking word. And we're going to bushwhack this thing. So we crawled down in there and I got within 20 yards of him and could hear him walking in the leaves. And we just let him move around us until we got a little bit of terrain to work with. And there's a like an invasive autumn olive bush or something right here to my left and as soon as he got on the other side of that bush me and nick tucked down and got up to that bush and we killed him it just an, depends on the i the think another another situation yeah strategy too there is if if you're seeing that and you can get some sort of pattern like if there's a place that he's going or like a checklist that he's making where he might hit you know whether it be a field corner or a finger ridge, but if he's having these consistent stops along the way, just being patient in those locations has been a strategy that I'd say we've used. And I remember one turkey that I, I we never actually saw the turkey, but every single day we would hear him gobbling. And he was one of those turkeys that it's like every couple of minutes or less than a minute at times, he's just blasting one off. And he'll get into a spot and he'll do that, do that, do that, do that, nothing. And then next thing you know, he shows up on a different ridge. You know, he goes all the way down and back up. And when he's traveling, he's not gobbling, but then as soon as he gets up there, he's letting loose again. And I remember the one day we had made this loop all the way around him and had gotten in front of him. And I'll never forget the feeling in my gut saying, do not call. But the turkey hunter in me was like, well, I'm gonna call anyway. <laughs> and I did it, and sure enough, just like every other time, that was it, never heard him again. And it's just like, you look back on those and you're like, I knew better. Why didn't I just trust my gut? So I think moving forward in those situations that you're talking about, just trying to recognize and not be too proud and just shut up. Yeah, <laughs> shut up, shut up, but also remind yourself that it's not working for you in the calls that you're using mm -hmm. at that time. So if you have a slate call and a mouth call and you have a way of going about it and it is not bringing him in, he's gobbling, he's going the other way, that's not to say that your buddy that's running a box call can't call that thing in. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you got to keep your options open because eventually something will work. The point that we're just trying to make is throw the kitchen sink at them. Like, don't just go into it with one, two, or three tactics. Keep an open mind. Like every one of these things, just because it's a late season turkey that's been getting pressured doesn't mean like scratching only is the way to go or no calls or calling a lot. It just means that if you know how to do all of those different tactics, you can throw, him at, throw those at him in each setup. And mo most of the time, we are not killing these birds on the first setup. <laughs> right. It's yeah, like the third, the fourth, the tenth, the, a week later on the... Mm -hmm. 
20th setup on this turkey, we're killing them. But we're trying something just a little bit different each time. Like we're throwing a different wrinkle in there, and then you see one of them work, and it's like, dang. I can't believe that's way, the way it happened. But then it's like your toolbox just expands, yes. right? Because now you're like, yeah. well, this can work. You know, <laughs> took a, went on a whim and said, let's sit on this ridge where he's been going. Next thing you know, he walks past it at 30 yards and you get a shot at him. It's like, well, I know that can work. Where, you know, until, I feel like until you mix it up like that, it's hard, it's hard to believe certain. I mean, I mean, with any hunting, there's certain things that we hear others talk about, but until we actually do it ourselves, it's hard to believe it. I mean, I'm very guilty of that. Hear people talk about certain things all the time, you know, with, with deer and turkey, whatever. But then when it happens to you, you're like, ah, that can work. And then moving forward, you just have that in the toolbox and you can always throw that at whatever situation you're dealt with. Yeah. Great questions, guys. These yeah, are good. Yeah. These are really good questions. Um, we'll take it one more back there and then we got to wrap up. So when you go to from hunting pressured birds in the east to hunting pressured birds in the west, do you change your tactics completely? Like, do you start relying more on glass, like glassing birds up and trying to get out in front of them? Or do you try to just put some boot leather on the ground and do a little bit more run and gun um, hmm. to, you know, to try to get wherever the birds are at? I'd say it just depends on the scenario. But like, I mean, the biggest thing, the thing I'm already thinking is out west, you can glass. Out east, if you're hunting big timber turkeys, you can't. You can't see them. Mm -hmm. So you're deploying a different strategy right off the bat. Yep. Um, we use. I don't. I don't know. I tend to use more box calls and loud glass out west. But that's not to say that they can't work in big woods too mm -hmm. out east. Yeah. I mean, another thing that just popped into my mind that we haven't really talked about is mixing up locator calls too. Like one yes. of the things I know we yep. do a ton when we're out west, for example, is because there's so much more open air, we'll do a lot more coyote howling, really loud locator calls, things like that. I mean, I think the turkey that you and Ted got a couple of years ago, or whatever, two seasons ago, I don't know, I'm all messed up because last missing last season, but you guys howled and heard him like two miles away down the bottom and then had to make a really big loop. So like, I would say in ways, I think of us covering more ground, but we're doing it in a variety of ways with locator calls, louder turkey calls, and also incorporating glassing, but also covering more ground on roads and on foot. But, you know, it's like as season progresses to find the turkeys, it does seem like, generally speaking, we have to cover more ground. But sometimes you still find that same deal where you go to the obvious pull-off and there's still one goblin right there, but he's acting real weird. You know, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of similarities, it seems, no matter no matter where you go. I think. Yeah, if you're if you're locating, think about the scenario that you're in. Are you trying to locate a bird in this woodlot that's only 400 yards long? Or are you trying to locate a bird above this drainage that goes for three miles? It's like your volume and the choice of your call for that particular application are going to be different. You know, and if you're calling out west and you're trying to hear a bird from two miles away, you need to get the volume out there with a high-pitched box or a coyote howl as loud as you possibly can. You know, but if you're trying to locate a bird from here to the back of the room, you're obviously not going to do that. You're going to use a different strategy. You're going to call softer or whatever. But we got to roll. We're already running a little late, I think. Cool. Um, Thanks, thank you everybody. guys for coming. Appreciate it. We love all of you, yeah. by the way.